0: Paul, in this episode, we are going to discuss and break down a couple of situations that we both have had recently that relates to this work. For you, you received a message on LinkedIn from a white man who questions the necessity of the work that you and we are doing for racial equity and pushes back. There is a lot in the message, and a few points are definitely worth a discussion. And for me, I recently had lunch with a man who leads inclusion work for a school. As we were discussing inclusion and goals for equity, he pushed back and denied that institutional racism exists. He stated that equity is unnecessary and meritocracy, the idea that everyone can pull themselves up by their bootstraps equally, is the reality. That in and of itself is not a huge shock, but what made it surprising for me is that it was a black man. So there is a lot for us to unpack with both of these situations, so let's dig into it.
1: This is The Modern White Man, the podcast where myself, Paul Johnson, and me, Ken Lawrence, discuss how to be a modern white man who is anti-racist, anti-sexist, and understands his role in creating an equitable society.
0: So Paul, let's start with the message you received. And I do wanna make clear that in us sharing this message and breaking it down, the intent is not to shame this person or make fun of this person or anything like that. There are parts of this message that I think a lot of white men either outwardly, like in this situation, or inwardly wonder. And with what we're trying to think about and accomplish with this podcast, again, being anti-racist, anti-sexist, being action-oriented with racial equity, we have to be open to having people disagree with us and respond to those disagreements. You know, I can even picture a lot of our listeners like imagining some of these points being said at a family Thanksgiving, right? Like they just can come up and it is good for us to be able to respond to some of these things. All right, so Paul, can you read the full message? We'll start with that and then we'll break it down kind of piece by piece and talk about points.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and let me just first say, part of me is sort of proud for receiving this message. Yeah, like I am. to be completely honest, yeah. like it, it it's a sign that I'm, in my opinion, I'm doing something right. That I'm getting someone who took time out of their day, and this is someone that I honestly don't remember connecting with. I think he connected with me, and it was just sort of a alright, fine, I'll connect with you. But the fact that even someone like that who doesn't even know me, I've never met this person took time out of his day to write this long message and then disconnect from me from LinkedIn is a sign that I'm pushing some buttons and I'm disrupting things. And that's good, Mm -hmm. right?
0: That's what we're trying to do. Absolutely.
1: So here's the message. Uh, It says, Paul, I don't know much about you other than that we share similar paths in education. I'm going to disconnect from you because I can't agree with so many of your basic premises. Why do you feel the need to change the spelling of folks? Is this some guilty white man's way of proving you're woke? I've worked with many companies through my life, and I've never experienced or seen systemic racism. This notion is purely a myth. It might exist in your circles, but not in any I've been associated with. Sure, there are pockets of individuals, but the vast majority of Americans don't give a flip about anyone's race, as long as people are willing to work and contribute to society. Yes, he said don't give a flip. I didn't edit that in. You seem to have this critical race theory as a solution, and you run around looking for problems to which it might apply. It's a negative, controlling position that is wrong and factors minorities at the expense of white people. Did you ever think there are few ERGs, employee resource groups, in your survey because companies are just working hard to stay in business? My company can't find people who want to work because the liberal government is paying healthy people to stay home and not work. Think of the unintended consequences of all these companies who hire hourly labor going out of business. It takes away incentive to work and contribute to society. I'm sure your intentions are noble, but I suggest not believing all you read and hear. You are chasing a myth. I choose to not be associated on LinkedIn. And just to provide a little bit more context, he's mentioning ERGs in this survey because I sent out a survey because I was wondering if organizations had ERGs for white folks because I was curious, like, are are there ERGs that focus on white people being allies and and working for racial justice in organizations? So that was part of the prompt for him to reply to me.
0: All right. So this note is, it's kind of all over the board, right? Like there's a lot going on here in this note. But let's break it down and talk about some of these points, because again, we want to respond to some of these. We may come against some of these thoughts in real time or in a productive way, even like if someone wants to have a conversation to learn more, they may be saying some of these things, maybe not so directly or indirectly, but let's start to break this stuff down. All right. The first little paragraph. Yes.
1: Yeah, so the first thing he said was, why do you feel the need to change the spelling of folks? Is this some guilty white man's way of proving you're woke? So that's another thing that I posted about recently. Folks, obviously, is traditionally spelled F-O-L-K-S. I came across a new, different, I shouldn't say new, a different spelling of folks, which is F-O-L-X, which is more of an inclusive spelling of folks. So that's what he's referring to. So I did a little bit more research of where this spelling came from. And really, in general, the, the letter X signifies gender non-conforming and offers a more inclusive spelling that includes gender queer, trans, agender folks. This has come into being because language is predominantly masculine, right? Since men have been in power for most of history, also been predominantly leading academic institutions, they really have control and power over language. So, for example, a lot of people have probably heard Latinx, right, instead of Latino. And Latinx is a more inclusive word because the O in Spanish makes the word masculine, one of very few things I learned from six years of Spanish. I do remember that part. So the O means that it's masculine. Now, of course, there are many words that are feminine in this Spanish language. So for those who are like, well, but it's probably even masculine female. But therein lies the problem. It's a gender binary. In this language, you have to choose, is it male or female? And as we've discussed, that's not how gender works. Oh, yeah. So
0: I, to jump in, I, I, I speak French. Mm. And everything in French is masculine well, they, or feminine, yeah, like like an object, right? Like a scissors or a pencil. And there is mm. now like a new wave in France pushing against that. Mm-hmm. That are like, mm-hmm. why is everything uh, feminine, yeah. masculine? Yeah. Like, let's get rid of it. Yep. Plus, it would make learning the language like significantly easier because yes. every conjugation and everything changes yeah. because masculine or fem- yep. feminine, depending on what the object is. Yep. Just like a little side note that there's a, some pushback in that.
1: Yeah, I think it's happening in every language. This is great. And it's, and it's also like language changes all the time. So the idea that language is changing, like for those who might be like, oh, this is annoying or inconvenience." Language is always yeah. changing. Read right? some
0: 1326 English, right. and yeah. see how much English has changed. Yeah,
1: and and thankfully so with some of that. <laughs> some of that. Yeah.
0: Um, Sometimes some Shakespearean, yeah. like I'm like, ooh, I wish people talked true, about true. That.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, honestly, in my opinion, the word Latino carries a lot of weight compared to like a scissors, right? Like, like yeah, it signifies right. an entire population of people. Like, that's a big word. That's an important word. And for that word to be all masculine, obviously is not accurate, right? Because not all Latinx people are masculine. And since it's such a weighted word, the fact that it's masculine sort of perpetuates male dominance of patriarchy, right? But in reality, people fall in all areas of the gender spectrum. Another word, there's women going around with an X for place of the E. So W-O-M-X-N. So this actually originated in 1971. This is not a new word. Um, but recently has gotten more visibility, and FOLKS as well I think came out in the 90s. But it, it in general just aims to be more inclusive for others on the gender spectrum who don't identify as a woman. But admittedly, FOLKS is trickier, right? Because you look at the word, it ends in KS, there's no O or anything that really signifies that it's that's male-dominant, right? So it doesn't appear to be inherently male or non-inclusive. But in this case, it's not really about the last letter of the word. It's about the significance of the letter X, right? As I talked about, X signifies gender nonconforming, it's more inclusive. Mm. You know, and since we live in a patriarchal society, for folks, it just happens that X works phonetically. Mm, right. Yeah, you can right. put an X and it still sounds like folks, right? So you could argue that the word people isn't inclusive because it doesn't have an X in it. And since we live in a patriarchal society, if people didn't have a masculine or feminine meaning, it would probably mean the former. But phonetically speaking, it doesn't really work. Although with women with an X in it, you still pronounce it, as far as I'm concerned, I might be wrong, and please write in and, and correct me, it's still pronounced women, but you spell it with an X. Mm. So at the end of the day, my motto is err on the side of inclusion. Uh-huh. That, that's, why I, that's why I spell it with an X am I using folks to the spelling of folks with an X to assuage some white guilt? And because I'm scared of someone calling me out for spelling folks with a KS, I'd be lying. if I said, no, Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, in this case, this, this guy was right. Mm. I mean, he's spot on that there's, there's definitely some guilt that's coming through here. And there's definitely some fear of, of not appearing woke, right? Because I'm using a spelling that is not inclusive. So yeah, I, in, in a sort of ironic, you know, funny way, like, he really kind of, he, he got me, right? Sure. So I'll give him that. Although, like I said, my, my saying, my, my motto is to err on the side of inclusion. And as I work through my guilt... I'm going to continue to use inclusive language because I believe that's just the right thing to do.
0: And also with the work that you do every day, I mean, obviously you and I have this podcast and we post about new episodes and that kind of thing. But also, you know, your day job is you you work towards equity and inclusion in workplaces and, and trying to dismantle white supremacy within right. workplaces and organizations. And so to err on the side of inclusion when you post things, I think is very like on brand with what you do right. as well. And and I think that that makes a lot of sense in that instance, just yeah. as like another layer.
1: Yeah. And language has power. I mean, right. we talked about power a lot in the last episode. There, there is, there is power language, right? Like just as there's power in a word being masculine, if we're able to, with enough people spelling folks with an X or Latino with an X, like over time, it'll just become normal. Right. Right. And that's powerful. Yeah. Right. And now all of a sudden, like every Everyone is using Latinx yeah. and everyone's using folks because that's just what you do, and it's inclusive of all people. Yeah. So, so it is, it, you know, it is part of, of using seeing language as having power to really change how we how we see things in our world.
0: Yeah. You know, the other part of that that I want to break down is the last few words of, is it some guilty white man's way of proving you are woke? Let's talk about woke. Yeah, let's talk about woke. You know, everybody I think listening to this has heard of woke mm-hmm. and maybe it's not in the most positive of light. So really the word woke is a term that refers to awareness. Of issues that concern social justice and racial justice. So when you think about the awareness of that, it's like being awakened to mm-hmm. and woke mm-hmm. is like the past sense of like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm woke to all of these racial injustices that I did not know existed prior to. You know, that's really how it started. And it did start as a really positive word. But this is a term that has become very weaponized. You know, it's used by folks resisting equity to almost make fun of racial awareness or individuals working towards equity. It's it's used in so many different ways. You know, I I see people being like, oh, the woke revolution in a very flippant Mm. type of fashion. I read one article that it was an opinion piece who calls it Wokeness 19 and we need a vaccine against it. Just like, you know, like comparing it to COVID-19 about how we're indoctrinating our youth, right? Mm-hmm. That article is just seeping in the good old days. And it was just, it was something. But it's, it's just, it's being used in a flippant way to disregard the progress and the importance of, of racial awareness. And like, I think it's a good example with his note too, right? Are you trying to prove that you are woke? is like a very good example of like using it, weaponizing the term. It's become this like very just nonchalant way to like poke fun at it without addressing the issues. Yeah.
1: And again, I got to give him a little bit of credit here too, because we know that wokeness has been watered down, right? Like there are people who call themselves woke, but they're doing it in a performative fashion, mm-hmm. right? They, they really aren't woke I think of folks who on their Instagram did the like blackout day thing. They posted one time. Well, you're not Instagram, but it went all over the place. So like my wife
0: showed me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So and they're like, well, I'm woke because I posted a black square on my Instagram. It's like, no, that's not it. Right. So so white people do a good job, unfortunately, of watering down things like wokeness of being an ally. So I think it was a good call out. Yeah. I think it was like, are you sure right. that you're like doing this from a place of wokeness or are you doing this from a place of performative wokeness? Right. And I know that's not that wasn't what he was saying, but it made me think that. Yes. And so I think in a way that was legit. Like, yeah, OK, you know, and and again, to be completely honest. Yeah, of course, part of me is doing this in a performative fashion, you know, but. But it's not all performative. Right. I, I genuinely believe in inclusion. I genuinely want to change language to be more inclusive. But yeah, again, there's some truth to it being maybe a, a performative woke than a, than a genuine woke.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm just such a non-fan of the word woke in every yeah. sense. Because just like you said, it first off has the effect of like, wow, I now see clearly now. Yeah. And yeah. look at me. I, I've, I, reached I've reached light. I've reached enlightenment. I it. I'm I done. Am. Yeah. Yeah. gosh i feel great i'm gonna yeah. go on my boat and celebrate <laughs> yeah. like being woke you know it, it's yeah. like it's it's almost like there's an end game like yes. we're all trying to be woke it's not it's a continuous yep. thing so right. it's all sides of that word is being yep. used if it's weaponized if it's used as a flippant way or for people to like claim or strive to be woke it's just all rubs me the wrong mm-hmm. way yeah
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> All yeah, right. so the next the next paragraph was uh, goes like this again. So I've worked with many companies through my life, and I've never experienced or seen systemic racism. This notion is purely a myth. It might exist in your circles, but not in any I've been associated with. Sure, there are pockets of individuals, but the vast majority of Americans don't give a flip about anyone's race, as long as people are willing to work and contribute to society.
0: The first part that really jumps out is... He's never experienced or seen systemic racism. This notion is purely a myth. Let's save that part for when we talk about my experience, uh, because they're really linked, talking about institutional racism. So let's we'll, we'll go back to that. The, the part of saying the vast majority of Americans don't give a flip about anyone's race as long as people are willing to work and contribute to society. Now, there are a couple things here that immediately jump to my mind. The first one is is that doesn't account for racist policies. So so if you think about again, if we go back to Eber Max Kendi's definition of racism and racist, and it's a marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that create inequity between racial groups. Even if you in your experience, let's say you don't think individuals give a flip about anyone's race that does not account for the undeniable racist policies that have existed, that have created inequities. So that's like really the first part. The other component of the definition of racism, of racist ideas, is everybody has racist ideas, even if they're unconscious. You and I have talked about our own racist ideas that we've had. I'll talk later in this episode about a racist idea that I had. It's impossible, I believe, to not have racist ideas in our society because race is so seeped in every aspect of our society. So, you know, I think that this also gets the idea that we've talked about of thinking of racism as like, I'm not an outward white supremacist very vocal racist. I see everybody very much the same. It really takes away from what racism really is and the racist ideas that everybody has. It doesn't mean you're good or bad. One still can have inherent racist ideas that exist.
1: Yeah. Also what I hear in this statement is a little bit of colorblindness, right? This idea of I don't give a flip about anyone's race. Like I don't see color. And, and, and you and I know how, how harmful that is. It's obviously is built in good intentions, right? Like it, it is speaking to a, a vision of ending racism, right? Like, and that is, that is the goal is that like, yeah, we, we hope to get to a place where we don't give a flip about race because racism is not an issue. Yeah. But- However, the reality is it is an issue and to say you don't see race is to is to completely disregard and choose not to appreciate or affirm the people of color and, and what they're going through and what right. they face. Yes. Right. And so yes. I'd love to get to a place where everyone doesn't give a flip about everyone's race, but we are not there. Right. We are not there yet. And then meritocracy, sort of this like as every as long as everyone's willing to work and contribute to society, I think it's it, it sort of his, his statement kind of speaks to that a little bit of this idea of you know, no one gives a flip about anyone's race. Everyone has the same opportunities to get ahead. As long as they're working hard, they're contributing. That's all I care about. But we know that meritocracy is a myth, right? Because people in power control those opportunities and control how do you get there. They build the path, right? And the, the path to success or power or money, whatever, is built for white people to do easily and difficult for people of color. But to say that, that we live in a meritocracy, merit, meritocracy- what's the <laughs> version of that? Meritocracy society. Meritocracy like, sure. society. Hierarchical, I society is is to assume that you know race doesn't play a part in that. and then you know we we know that's not the case. Um, and yeah, if 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 that comes up at a dinner table, Thanksgiving, that's a deep issue to, to dive into, but that's really why it's important to listen to people of color and to look at racist policies, right? Like, I think that's one of the most practical ways to look at it and say, like, these are policies that are in place to make sure that meritocracy isn't a thing, especially for people of color.
0: Exactly. That really links well with my experience as well with the meritocracy, with my lunch. So we'll talk even more mm-hmm, about that because mm-hmm. that is really important. A real quick break here as we are in the midst of this important discussion to tell our listeners that we have a new way to connect with us so we keep these important conversations and learnings going. We have a new website available, www.themodernwhiteman.com, where you can learn more about our work, read blog posts with topics revolving around the continuous work of being anti-racist, anti-sexist, and our role as white men in creating equity. And you can subscribe to our newsletter. It's a new way to receive updates on new podcast episodes, new blog posts, and various relevant topics and future ways to get more involved. And also, it's easier than ever to get in contact with us. You know, we love hearing feedback and ideas from listeners. So be sure to check out that website and subscribe to that newsletter.
1: All right, so the next paragraph is... You seem to have this critical race theory as a solution, and you run around looking for problems to which it might apply. It's a negative controlling position that is wrong and factors minorities at the expense of white people. So I gotta be honest. I, this one confused me. First of all, I don't. I haven't studied race, critical race theory, to be completely honest. Obviously, I, I read about race, and I and and I probably have studied it unknowingly, mm-hmm. um, but I don't really know what it means. Right. And so, so I actually looked up a definition that hopefully will help. It, it is a concept that's about 40 years old, but the core idea is that racism is a social construct, and that is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. So kind of going back to what we talked about with Ibram Kendi's work. So, yeah, when I look at that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I have been sort of, quote unquote, studying critical race theory, but I haven't been studying that theory explicitly. So. Yeah, it's
0: kind of exactly what we've been talking about, yeah. right? That racism is a social construct and that it's a marriage of racist policies and racist right. ideas. And the fact that that's 40 years old.
1: Well, it's funny that it's only 40 years old when really it should be 400 years old yeah right which shows again that the academic institutions controlled by white people that it was only forty years ago that this came out as a legitimate concept when critical race theory is is something that was real 400 years ago totally. right? so yeah um, it shows how again Gosh. how slow on the uptake
0: what was 40 years old or 40? like we're almost 40 yeah. years old <laughs> like, so this is this i mean is... it's not like immediately around the corner yeah like, i mean we, we have to appreciate our youth as far as we can but like that so is was... almost as old as we are yeah. that's when like the idea that racism or... is a social construct is really coming to the forefront that's
1: terrifying god so it came out uh, you know post civil rights act i guess which is interesting because Civil Rights Act was about racist policies, right? right? Like, So anyway, I mean, and it also speaks to like, do we really need something to be an academic concept to, to seem legit? Right. right. Like, do we need a white-led institution? And maybe, you know, maybe it becomes real and maybe it becomes a thing when white people say like, this is a real thing. Right. And then people start listening. Yeah, exactly. Um, not this guy, obviously, but right. anyway...
0: There's so much in this, just a couple lines, you know, really does link to a lot about our journey on this podcast. And you know what it really links to that I thought of when I read this, especially this last part where it's, you know, the idea that he's making here is that it is giving privileges to minorities at the expense of white people is... My favorite line that you taught me that no one actually knows who initially said yes. it is when yeah. you're when you're accustomed to privilege equality feels like oppression Mm -hmm. like that is like that is a great example of of this sentiment and you know you can also see it as reverse racism the idea that it's racism against white people is really what is kind of coming through here and we can link this to a lot that we've talked about and how about the racial hierarchies that we talked about in the anger and violence Mm -hmm. and how the racial hierarchies really cause a lot of anger and I thought about that here, too, with, you know, if we're accustomed to being on the top or or we feel like our position is threatened in some way that causes this kind of anger and who are we going to blame? So I thought about the racial hierarchies. But then the the other thing that I really want to point out here is that in, in him saying it's a controlling position that is wrong and factors minorities at the expense of white people, Minorities, we can assume he's saying people of color. The assumption that he is making here is that white people are either more deserving than black and brown folks or that black and brown folks are less qualified. This is something that really must be checked. If I was having this conversation with this individual in person, you know, and he mentioned that, I would ask, can you explain how it is at the expense of white people? You know, I feel like that's a really good open-ended question because then they can really Mm -hmm. dig into, like, what did make me say that? How is it at the expense of white people? Because what I really think it is is he is just has these unconscious prejudices that white people are more qualified no matter what. He's just making this blanket statement assuming that people of color are less deserving and white people are really suffering because of it it really is something that's been socialized very deep in us and and it's really important to check.
1: Yeah, and again, you know, the, this is why we're having these conversations, the more white men who can check those, right and really understand and look that like look at this isn't at the expense of me. And we talked about it last episode, it kind of is. I mean, to be completely honest, it kind of is. Like we talked about last episode, we have to sacrifice some things. Mm-hmm. Like if our goal is, is equity, we have to sacrifice some things. If our goal is is money and power and resources, we're not going to want to sacrifice things, mm. right? So we have to we have to change what our goal is, there you right? Go. Which is what about leadership is about, like moving towards the same goal. Yeah. So yeah, it to be completely honest, sometimes it is at the quote-unquote expense of us as white people. We might have to give up our position, or give up money, or mm. give up comfort. And we need to also look at the big picture and we've talked about this before too, of how ending racism is good for everybody, right, including white people.
0: Yeah, like redefining right. sacrifice. And I exactly. love how you say not looking at what we lose, which is easy, but what are we gaining? Right, right.
1: Right, right. exactly. And then and the more white people or white men who do this, because we do hold so much power and so much we have so much stuff we can sacrifice, right, compared to other people the more white men who can get on board with saying, yeah, okay, I'm willing to sacrifice some of my money and to give money to these institutions or sacrifice some of my time to be more anti-racist or to sacrifice this position or the speaking opportunity. Like, because we we are hoarding all of those things, right? The more white men who can get on board with that, the better. Yeah. All right, so the last part is, did you ever think there are few ERGs... Again, employee resource groups in your survey because companies are just working hard to stay in business. My company can't find people who want to work because the liberal government is paying healthy people to stay home and not work. Think of the unintended consequences of all these companies who hire hourly labor going out of business. It takes away incentive to work and contribute to society. So honestly, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I was a little bit confused about this. But so again, an ERG is an employee resource group, which is groups that that meet, and honestly, I've never been a part of an ERG. I know they exist, especially in large organizations. Affinity Group is another way of calling it. Yeah. So most ERGs and organizations have you know, sort of like there's African-American ERGs, there's Latinx, there's LGBTQIA. So there's a shared identity and they meet and there's, there's funding within the organization for them to meet. So again, like I said earlier, I asked the question, are there ERGs for white folks, for white folks to learn about anti-racism and how to be an ally? So, so that's what prompted this. One thing I did kind of bring out of this is, or or thought about is this idea of like healthy people staying at home and not working, quote unquote, not working. It's because, and I just recently kind of seen a lot of things come out on social media on this, but it's because they can get more money in unemployment,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, like, like they're, they're than, than a job, like unemployment pays more money than a job because of, of greedy business owners who refuse to pay a living wage there are people who can make more money on unemployment than, you know, getting a job. So is it really about the liberal government, right? Or is it about capitalism? Is it about white supremacy that is all about maximizing profit and hoarding resources and money at the top and getting away as much as they can with paying as little as they can to to other people? So
0: yeah, and yeah. Then he would respond with Yeah, they're making more in unemployment, so unemployment needs to not pay as much. And then it's like, well, they're paying what is considered a livable wage if you're not working. So if people are making less than a livable wage, you know, it's just like, Mm -hmm. then it's a whole kind of other question that, well, how much a business is like, what's a living wage? And should businesses have to, you know, have a Mm -hmm. higher minimum wage, etc.? But I think you're right, like, thinking about what does that say about how much people are making when they work? I think that's an interesting question.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and one thing, and I don't have any, this is a theory or a hypothesis or a favorite thing as white men to, to, to say. I really believe this idea of paying as little as possible to people is is a way for the white elite, and again, the white elite includes mostly white men, to prevent upward mobility mm. specifically for people of color. Mm. But it happens at the expense of white people, which is so ironic of him talking about the expense of white people that I, I really think that refusing to pay a livable, livable wage is a is a racist attempt to keep people of color down, right? To, to keep resources at the top where, with white folks, but it comes at the expense of white people. And this is something I think I mentioned in the book to some of us earlier yeah. by Heather McGee. She talks about so many examples of this of how, how white folks, something like unions, for example, like there's so many white folks who, who are anti-union, even though unions would benefit white people, right? Like, yeah. But they're anti-union because they see that it, that it would, it would um, benefit people of color. So, so I, I obviously can't talk about the whole book in this, but if, if you're really interested in seeing how racism, the effects of racism does come at the expense of white people, that is the book to read, yeah. Because it really does. Yeah, Um, right. And that's what's ironic about a statement is that that actually being more racist, perpetuating a racist society, that will cause more consequences for white people.
0: Yeah. And you know, with that, what I'm picking up here, and you could maybe call this a hypothesis on my part, but I'm picking up on some fear and anger here. And again, I'm linking that to our episode on the racial hierarchies and how that Mm -hmm. causes Fear, anger can lead to violence. But, you know, he mentions my company can't find people to work and the threat of going out of business because they can't find workers. Like, that's scary stuff. Like, if you have a business, no matter who you are, and it's you're struggling, threat of going out of business, can't find workers. But, like, what's happening then is, as we talked about in that episode, is you have to find something to blame. Either you're going to take mm-hmm. it out on some something or someone else or take it out on yourself. Yep. And he's taking it out on a couple things here. You know the the liberal government, so he's finding something again. We're trying not to be like political, you know, too political on this podcast. We don't really have to go down that road. But you know what I really want to bring up here is why do you think he's bringing this up at all here? So so think about that because it started with institutional racism, right? And then he jumped to this last paragraph, and it's like if we stopped and said, all right, let's think about what is. The reason he's bringing this up, this should have nothing to do with race at all. And yet he's bringing it up. So Mm -hmm. to me, Mm -hmm. that tells me that once again, he is unconsciously thinking that people who are staying home and not working are people of color, Mm. right? Which is not the reality. Mm and it's the idea that there are people living on the welfare, yeah. they're taking our taxes, they're choosing not to work, and he is having the unconscious mm-hmm. idea that they're people of color. Mm-hmm. When re- That's not the reality, mm-hmm. first of all, and white people have a lot of handouts as well, but that's what race has done. We, yeah. we talked about this, how race creates these divides between yep. uh, people in maybe lower socioeconomic classes, or however we can put the wedge of race in, in people here. And I really think that this is a really good example of that. And, and it's unfortunate that the racial hierarchy exists in the first place. Because you know, in searching for something to blame, I think that's really where he went.
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on there. The, the race, and that is a racist idea. The racist yes. idea that black, brown folks are lazy. Yeah. Right. Well, the
0: the, the welfare. Uh, what's mm-hmm. like the thing they say? Like welfare the, queen. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. And and there's so many mm-hmm. racist ideas around
1: mm-hmm. that. Yeah it is it is really strange that he brought that up and i yeah and that's why again like i said i was really confused by that paragraph i wasn't really sure what he was getting to there it sounded just more of a like he's just he's experiencing insecurities and fear and, and anger about his own fears about losing his job and and somehow linking that to to race or critical race theory and like you said searching for something or someone to blame which is as we talked about in a previous episode like that's what white men do. Like, if we feel like we are falling short, if we're failing, we need someone to blame. And that's either ourselves or other people. And that's to basically take out our anger and frustration and say, it has to be your fault because there's no way it's my fault. Yeah. Because I'm a white man. I should be at the top. And so the reason I'm not at the top is because of you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, it, it yeah. And it, again, goes back to how racism is is harmful for us. Yeah. Right, Right. because it it, it evokes those feelings and those insecurities and that fear and violence in us
0: you know I think that there is a lot there for us to think about and how it's what I really like about this conversation is it's an everyday sentiment that we could run across and again we do not want to shame this guy We do not want to show like, well, there are terrible people out there, there's nothing like that because I think that this is an example of what a lot of us could run across on any day. And so for us to be really mindful of that, and it's good for us to be able to respond to that, you know? And for us to think about all that we've talked about in our past episodes, kind of wrapped up in like, yeah, here's how it's manifesting and how we can think about it. So I think that's really helpful. You know, I really think that with my experience, there's more to build on this. And I think we should have a part two or else we're just going to be laying way too many bombs on our (laughs) listeners and these two. But again, like with my experience of how a black man is denying institutional racism and how that links with this note as well, there's really a lot of thoughts that go into that. So let's do a part two in a future episode as a little teaser to that conversation because that'll be important for us as well. Yeah,
1: so until next time, let's keep learning, stay humble, and do the work.
0: Thank you for listening to The Modern White Man. Please connect with us on our website, themodernwhiteman.com, where you can learn more about our work, read blog posts with topics revolving around the continuous work of being anti-racist and anti-sexist, and subscribe to our newsletter to stay in the loop with various relevant topics and future ways to get more involved. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and share, both individually and on social media. That's how we get the most traction. After all, the more white men that have these conversations, the better.